that's interesting, is it not? Uh, Ashley, great job on the video. And then Seth shows up who uh, is our resident introvert, and uh, there he is. So that is, that, that is a move of the Lord right there is exactly what that is, yes. Uh, again, we're so happy to see you this morning. Could you turn to someone and shake their hand or say good morning to them, however you are comfortable for a moment? You don't have to touch them if you're not comfortable doing that, but kind of make everybody feel a little at home for a moment together as we talk from the book of James Grab your Bibles today, the book of James, chapter 5. We will work through verses 7 through 11. And then hopefully, if we have time, we end with verse 12, which is a really interesting verse, as James' writings are very interesting. Uh, We want to welcome all of our college students as they are coming. We have this, you know, we have this very interesting, eclectic group of students here at Hope Fellowship. I won't take a lot of time to talk about that, but we have those that are actually, they live in Anderson and their parents attend here. And so, They are our elementary and middle school and high school kids, and so you're here, and so we're thankful for that. And then we have all of our other students who actually call Hope their church home, but yet they live somewhere else in the state or in the nation or other countries also. And so we're glad that you're here also. And then we have those students that your parents live here that you're returning home for the Thanksgiving holidays. And for all of you, we want to say welcome to you also and everyone else. We're glad to have this morning uh, my, my son Grayson back from the, the Citadel. He was singing this morning over here. And also Stephen Jones is here this morning. You can pick them out because they were the two guys with those really sharp haircuts, okay? Yeah, they kind of stand out in the crowd, but uh, we are glad to have them along with all of our other students that will be returning soon also. Today, James chapter 5, verse 7, can we talk about patience for a moment? And you say, Mark, I only have a small amount of patience, so you better hurry. So can I talk about it? And, And so today is simply, instead be patient, is what we're going to find in our teaching today together. And so I start with this because James alludes to the second coming, and Ashley just talked about that for a moment, the already but not yet. And and so I I thought about starting there because James talks about that in this text today, that to what extent is our life directed by that continued thought of that of the return of Christ? You know, where does that go in our mind, our brain, and our daily schedule? Where does that happen for most of us? Because most of our thinking is really wrapped around the moments of our life, it really is, or the past of our life. Yet James forcefully, I think, speaks about the second coming throughout, the, throughout his entire letter, specifically in the verses that we're going to share together this morning. It's a fact that actually should be directing our lives. It, it actually is in the now that we're motivated today by the certainty of the future that Christ is going to return. All injustices will be made right and all wrongs will be made right. And so we know that that day is coming. And so what the book of James is, as we've said this so many times together, it's a pause in our daily life. It's that moment where we just kind of set back spiritually. We take a deep breath and all the commitments and all of the requirements of our lives. We take a moment and we look at ourselves. Yeah, James says that we look at ourselves in the mirror of the Word of God. We take these scriptures, these teachings, these concepts, we lay it over our life and we see where those edges do not match up, and where those edges do, match, uh, do not match up, we deal with that. 
We don't walk away from it, but we do it. So that is that common thread of that of faith without works is dead. That we hear this, we understand this, we, we realize that. But yet, how does these things that James teaches us as the Holy Spirit speaks through him, how does that play out in my daily life and your daily life? That's exactly what he's talking about. And, and so it's this forward stance of faith that we have, that we realize that, yes, Christ is returning, and that is our hope. And we're going to talk about that a lot this morning. That is our hope. But how does that play out in the, in the daily events of my life? So here's kind of where we are in James. For the past few weeks, well, a couple of weeks ago, we talked from James chapter 4. And James chapter 4 and verse 13, James said to us, he said, come now. And he uses that statement a few times in some preceding verses. He says, come now. And when James says, come now to us, all right, it's not like this, oh, let's have this fireside, wonderful little cozy chat, you know, while we drink some eggnog. But it's sort of like this, hey, I need to talk to you about something because something is broken in your life. It's sort of like if you are a parent and and you would say to your kids if you're at home, and I know this could be construed as somewhat being stereotypical, but just take it for what it is, okay? That maybe your mom says to you, just wait till your father gets home. I don't know if you've ever been said that you know, to by your parents. And or court, it could be wait till your mom gets home kind of deal, you know? And they're going to really straighten you out. Well, here's what James is saying, come now. And so he talks in verse Four, about that of arrogance. It's about when we go to a town and we plan to spend money, that we're arrogant, that we have control over our own lives. And then we go down to chapter 5, and he says again, come now. And, and I know that. I know that Travis did such an amazing job last week with the topic. I loved his topic title, and that is Mo Money, Mo Problems, you know? And so I thought that was great. But he talks to us about generosity and, and that of the lack of generosity in our life. But he says, come now. But then we get to where we are today in chapter 5 and verse 7, and all of a sudden there's this loving approach to you and I, okay? It's not like wait till your dead gets home kind of thing anymore. Because he calls us brothers and he calls us sisters. It's the conclusion of the things that he has said to us prior to these verses. Because he said to us, hey, don't be arrogant. Don't be materialistic. But then he says to us, instead, be patient. Don't be arrogant. Don't be materialistic. But instead, he says, be patient. It's how you and I approach the injustices of our lives. How do we approach those things? How do we approach the challenges of our lives? How do we approach the weight, the burden of this life? How do we approach that? And here's what James says. You can be arrogant about that, that you're just going to take control, that you set your own destiny. Then he said, oh, no, you can be materialistic about that, that you can look what other people have and you desire that to take it away from them because it rightfully belongs to yours. Or he said, you can be patient in your life. James chapter 5, verse 7, I began reading there. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. I told you this is like this loving chat. Come sit down with me on the couch and let's have this conversation. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand, he said. 
Do not grumble against one another. I love that verse, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and he is merciful. What James is saying is this. Here is how you can, here is how sometimes that you do react to the brokenness of this Genesis chapter 3 world that you live in. It is exactly what he's saying. You have to remember who he's writing to. It's, it context is everything. He's writing to, as we go back to Genesis 1 and verse 1, he's writing to a people who are in dispersion. That means that they're fleeing Jerusalem under persecution by the non-believers. Why? They're following. It follows right after the stoning of Stephen, and they're being persecuted. So they're dispersing all over the known world. They're planting churches, and they're making Christ known everywhere. So they're struggling under this heavy load of life. And he says, hey, you can approach these hard times in your life by being arrogant. You can approach them by being materialistic in your life. You can do that in thinking, well, listen, here's the deal. I deserve this. They don't deserve that what they have, so I become contemptuous in my life, and that starts toward others, and then eventually it ends up being contemptuous toward God. We can do all of those kinds of things, and he says, hey, brothers and sisters, come, sit with me for a moment. Take a breath, a moment out of your day, and just be patient. Wow. Just be patient. What an incredible command that he gives us after all these things that we have just talked about. And you say, I don't want to be patient. I want to be outraged. You know, I don't want to be patient. I want to be outraged. So how are you approaching the challenges of your life? I thought about this a lot. There's a couple of ways that I think you can approach them. One is you can fight. Man, you can take things into your own hands and say, God, if you don't step up, then step aside because I am going to handle this my own way. Or you can simply approach it with fright that you reach your limit, you panic, you become paralyzed in your life, you don't know what to do, you can't make a decision, and you become overwhelmed. Yes, you can fight it, you can simply address it with fright, or, or then you can address it with flight. Man, I'm done. I am finished. It is over. I quit. I throw in the towel. What other kinds of analogies did you want to use in that? I'm going to withdraw from school. I'm going to resign my job. I'm going to get a divorce. I'm going to leave this church or leave church in general. I'm just tired of God because God is not stepping in and doing what I want him to do. And James says, hey, you can be arrogant. You can be materialistic in your approach to all of these kinds of things because sometimes when we feel the weight of this sinful world, you and I respond to that sinfully is what he's saying. But he says, instead, be patient. Instead, be patient. Now, I I don't know about you, but I, uh, sometimes I despise sermons on patience, don't you? Yes, I do, right? Yes, you can tell in the room there's a resistance to that because, man, we all struggle with that thing. So, you know, James is saying this, but what does patience really look like? What does biblical Christian patience look like? So he doesn't leave us hanging, but he gives us some direction. So we start with the first thought is this. What are the characteristics of biblical patience? Go back to verse 7. I read it again. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, or another translation would say, instead of about, it is important, he would say, be 
patient over it until it receives the early and the late rain. Those are important. We will play those out in just a moment. In framing patience, I think, though, what you and I think happens in our lives is somehow we come to God, we pray for patience, and God infuses us, infuses us with this trait within our life that we're no longer affected by the circumstances of our lives. Yes, that we kind of go through life and God coats us with this non-stick surface that nothing in life simply sticks to me anymore. So everything that happens in my life, I just approach it, well, oh well, if it's the Lord's will. You know, that's it, yeah. That's the way that we look at patience. Oh well, if it's the Lord's will. I got up this morning, my car doesn't start. Oh well, if it's the Lord's will, it would have started, you know, kind of deal. Or, or whatever. So we approach simply patience like that. And can I tell you before we describe what biblical patience is, that it's okay to pray for patience. It's okay. Some of you are afraid of doing that because you're reminded, right, of what Romans says. What brings patience in our life? What is it? Tribulation. Yes, yes. So if I don't ask for patience, I avoid tribulation is what we tend to deduce from all of this. Can I tell you something? If you love Christ and you are attempting to follow Christ today, there is going to be persecution and tribulation in your life. So grow up, put your big boy pants on and get over it and start asking God for some patience. Right? Yes. Because it's going to happen. There is going to be persecution and tribulation in your life. It's going to happen. Absolutely. So James says, hey, here is what, here is what biblical Christian patience really looks like. So here's a couple of thoughts as we kind of work through that. The first of all, first of all, is this it's patience that has a certain purpose in our spiritual growth. It is, we have to frame it properly that he's not just addressing, hey, be patient in the things of your life. But he's giving us a picture of waiting with patience. It's different. It's patience with purpose and an object behind it. And that is important. It's waiting with an object behind that or a purpose behind that waiting in our life. It is, yes. Yesterday, um, Grayson and Bradley and myself, we took the morning or the day and we went to the mountains and we, we, we simply went four-wheeling, and I I always told you it's my inner redneck self that comes out, you know, kind of like that. And so we want to find mud. If it's too dry, let's just go deeper in the woods so we can find mud. And it takes me hours to clean up after that, the car, my truck. And so we find, but but what I did yesterday, because Grayson hasn't driven in months being at the Citadel, they don't allow them to drive there. So I let Grayson drive. Now, I want to tell you what, here is the thing that... uh, yeah, it, it was a lesson in patience with me yesterday. It really was. Yes. And I let him drive and on the blacktop to, to up in the mountains, it was fine until we hit the, the Jeep trails. And, and finally we got off and he drove all the way through that. And we're traversing all these big ruts in the road and climbing these rocks and doing all these kinds of things. And I'm sitting over here, I'm holding to the door and I'm holding to the armrest. And, 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 I'm, and he looks at me and he says, dad, are you okay? He asked me if I'm okay. And I said, no, I'm about to have a heart attack. No, I didn't. And then after we got to the end of our trail, turned around to come back out, Bradley comes to me, which is my middle son, which is with us. He's in the other Jeep. And he says, Dad, do you and Grayson need a break from one another? Is what he said to me, you know? That's not the patience that really James is talking about. 
Yeah, it would be nice if it would. We look at James sometimes in a very superficial manner, and we think, oh, well, that's exactly what he's talking about. It's like, you know, I need to be more patient with my children. It is, but it's not. It's not. He's talking about waiting with a purpose. It's, it's the waiting in our life that brings some fruit. That's why he uses this analogy of a farmer. It's, it's this, that there is, and, and let me explain this to you and kind of say these things, and then it'll all come together, I believe, by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life at the end of this, that there is being patient over something. He, he says that the, the farmer is there patient over the ground, over the fruit of the ground. He's patient over something until something else happens, is exactly the way the text reads. He waits for the valuable fruit of the ground, being patient over it, over that fruit, until it receives the early and the late rains, the scripture says. The fruit, he uses the word precious, and it really helps us to understand what James is talking about here, which makes it deeper than that of just being patient with my wife or my kids or other things like that. It makes it even deeper than all of that. Because what the farmer is looking at, it's not this rich farmer who's trying to make a profit off of his, off of his fruit. No, it's not that at all. But yet it's a farmer realizing he's growing fruit to survive in his own life. So here's what James does. He connects to those that he writes to that are functioning on this heavy weight of life. And he connects to you and I also. The thing to be patient over, he uses the word precious because it's more precious than riches money. It's more precious than an easier life, our concept of what we think patience would be. Absolutely. It's the goal in my life and your life to mature and to become complete in Christ. He's talking about our growth. He's talking about waiting with a purpose. There is a purpose for the waiting within our life. Remember, James James is not about, the letter is not about perfection, But the letter is what? The letter is about progress within my life. It's about growth. So here's what James is saying. He said, hey, brothers and sisters, come sit with me. I want to talk to you about patience for a minute. He said, be patient over the trials of your life. Be patient over the trials of your life because through the trials of your life, you're going to gain the maturity and the completeness in Christ that you desire. Be patient over those trials in your life until that process is crowned by that of the second coming of Christ, the second advent when he comes back. You're patient over those trials because they're going to bring maturity in your life and you're patient until those things are crowned with that event of Christ returning and he makes all things right. So what he says to us is this, that you and I wait in hope and you and I wait in a surety of the faithfulness of God, that precious harvest of the fruit of our lives of maturing and completeness in Christ is going to happen because God is faithful to bring the early rain and the late rain. Yes, absolutely. He's talking about the coming of Christ and it's going to bear fruit. So understand this. There's a purpose for the waiting in your life. There's a purpose for that. He said the farmer is being patient over something. He's being patient until something else. Listen, do you want to learn patience? If you really want to learn patience, then it comes down to a choice of value, I think. It it really does. And it ties back to what Travis taught about last week. What do you value? That's a huge question. What do you value? 
Because is this about, oh, I just want to get what I deserve? Is, is that what this is about? Is this about ease in life? Oh, that's, that's what I want. You know, that's what I want God to do in my life. Just make everything so easy. What do you value? And James says, it's the precious fruit of the process of growth within your life. That's the most precious commodity that you and I have, that we're growing in Christ. That is exactly what he's talking about. And what brings that growth in my life, in your life, is waiting with purpose. I'm not just hanging out, you know, and and wasting time. No, this is part of God's design and plan for my life, that I'm waiting waiting for purpose, that I'm walking this dirt path of sanctification within my life. I'm managing the tension between the real of my life and where I am and what's going on in my life today and and that of the, the... the, the thing that God wants to do in my life, not only the real, but yet the ideal that God wants, that growth that God wants, and I'm managing that distance, that tension between the real and the ideal that Christ has set for my life, and that is where I wait, and that waiting is with purpose. So you just thought you were wasting time, huh? You just thought you were just hanging out. God, God, I'm waiting on you to do this in my life, Lord, and I'm waiting to step out on faith, and, and I'm waiting to make this move, God, in my life for you and for the kingdom. And you thought, well, I'm just wasting time. No, it's for a purpose. God is designing something in your life. You're being patient over something, that precious fruit of the ground, and you're being patient until something else that results in waiting with hope, that we don't wait hopelessly, understand that, but we wait with great hope. Hope, and that hope is found in the faithfulness of God within our lives. It is, yes. So we go on that patience has this, not only does it have this certain purpose, but it has this certain hope in the second advent that we're patient until the coming of the Lord, the future return of Christ. It's that event. It motivates you and I to persevere. It motivates us to persevere. And, And we see that in the life of the farmer as he waits for the early rain and the late rain, the scripture says. And, and if the farmer could not hope in those rains, the surety of those rains to come, then all the work on his crops is futile. I mean, I'm not a farmer. Understand that. Realize this. I am not a farmer. But what I do realize is, is this, that, that you can plant seed, but if, it, if, it, if the water doesn't come, if the water doesn't happen, the seed is not going to germinate and it's not going to grow. At least I know that much. So if the farmer does not expect that or waits until that latter rain, then all the work he does is futile. Understand this. We wait with great hope. Realize that. We great, it's based upon the faithfulness of God. When you look at the Old Testament... And you find texts that talk about rain. They always relate to that of the faithfulness of God. You can read these later, later if you like. It's Jeremiah 5, 23, 24. Deuteronomy, which is the Shema, uh, 11, 13, and 14. It talks about that of the rain. It's about the faithfulness of God. The point is this. It leaves no doubt that, that how appropriate it is for you and I to practice patience within our lives. Because God has promised that rain. Understand that. Therefore, the farmer works diligently. And we, while we are waiting, we continue to work. We continue to believe because faith without works is dead. What we know, if it doesn't play out in our lives, then really is it faith at all. And so we're patient in the struggle. We're patient. Because we find purpose in the faithfulness of God in the middle of that. And I, I hope that through the power of the Holy Spirit that he speaks that into your life this morning. 
that you realize that in the moment of waiting, in the time of waiting, wherever you are in your life, that there is purpose in that. And it's not hopeless because it is simply based upon the faithfulness of God. Not only is there purpose or not only is there hope, but yet there is a certain posture in our conduct as we wait on the Lord. I go back to the text again. It's verse 8. You also be patient. You also be patient, he said. It's the same way he starts in verse 7. He starts verse 8 again. It's the application of the farmer's analogy in our life. It really is. He said, he said simply, you also be patient. Establish, strengthen your hearts. Establish your hearts, he said. It's the elaboration of what he's talking about, about the farmer. He said to simply stand firm for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The foundation of the stance for our waiting is found in the faithfulness of God. Yes. And I, I, because of our culture, driven by, I, I think, busyness, you know, because of our culture, driven by that of the instantaneous fulfillment in our lives sometimes with things, that, man, waiting is something that's far beyond our understanding today. It really is. Because we almost view it as if it's just this colossal waste of time within our lives. But understand that the waiting that you find in the Bible, especially what James is talking about, is not this just casual thing of you sitting back and doing nothing. You have your arms crossed. You're laying back and you're kind of relaxing in the recliner. That That is not it at all. That's not what it is. But simply, it is not this passive passive types of waiting, but it is this very aggressive style of waiting, and that is that I'm believing in faith. Why? Because he says this, that while you're waiting, establish your hearts, be strong, understand that, that I'm believing and I'm trusting God, I'm doing the things that I know to do. You know, I'm not just sitting back and I'm praying for my marriage to be better, and I'm going to kind of fold my hands and sit back and say, you know, I'm just kind of waiting on the Lord to really work in my marriage, and I'm just going to sit back here and kind of hang out until God does something. That's not what he's talking about. That's a very passive type of waiting. That's not what James is addressing. He's saying this. This is a more aggressive type of waiting, and that is that you do the things that you know that you're supposed to do and you believe. Why? You establish your heart. Why? Because that's simply based on the faithfulness of God. It's waiting with purpose. It's a very aggressive type of waiting that James is talking about. Because during this process, the farmer is planting, the farmer is weeding, and he is, he is taking care of the fruit of the ground so it will come up and will bear a great crop for him and his family. And it tells us this. It's a waiting that involves action in my life and in your life. Do you want to learn patience? That's a huge question. Then since you've set your hearts on becoming mature and complete, and since your hope is in Christ, soon return, you choose to stand firm. But Mark, what does that look like? What does that look like? I am so glad you asked that because James answers that question. It's how do we practice biblical patience? Look at verse 9. I love verse 9. I love this. Here it is. Because James knows, he knows us. The Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit working through James that knows us. James 5 and 9, do not grumble against one another, okay? Do not grumble against one another. Now, I don't know if we have any grumblers in here. Understand this, okay? 
You know, I, I realize in life there are Tiggers and Eeyores, right? Yes, Eeyore is a grumbler, okay? Um, so I, I know we've done this, but just to kind of help us to understand in this room, uh, first of all, how many of you, by raising your hand, how many of you know who Tigger and Eeyore are? Anybody? Put your hand up. That's wonderful. That's good. Okay, you know that, all right? So let's just have an honest moment for, for a second together, all right? How many... How many tiggers are in the room? Let me see the tiggers in the room. Put your hands up. See, you're like, oh, I don't know if I... Is that arrogant? No, put your hand up. You know. Go ahead. Okay. Oh, there's the tiggers. Okay, put your hand down. All right. All right. And then how many Eeyores are in the room? Any Eeyores? Oh, we have some Eeyores. Yes, yeah, that's, that's good. That's okay. We love Eeyores and we love tiggers. Okay. And how many you just don't even know or you just don't care? Okay, now, no, don't wait. I saw some hands go up. Okay. Yes. And he goes, I love it because James knows us, doesn't he? He says, hey, do not grumble against one another. It's not like he's talking to, you know, a, a group of people that is somehow a figment of his imagination. Mm-mm. He's talking to us. He said, don't grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the... This is serious business when it talks about grumbling. It is. And I think when we come to verses like this, that a temptation for all of us is to separate this out from the context of what he's been talking to us about. But because it seems like that, you know, I, I, I said this, I, I think, in one of our, our group meetings this week. I said it's almost like, you know, James is sitting at Starbucks and the Holy Spirit is working through him and he's got his laptop and he's typing out this letter, right, to the church. And, and then all of a sudden, because this happens to me, somebody walks by and it catches my eye and my mind goes somewhere else and I have this other thought it's almost like James's his line of thought is broken. He has this other thought, and he writes this in here about grumbling, and he says, you know what? They can figure it out 2,000 years later. I'm not worried about it. And he puts it in there, right? Yeah. No. It fits perfectly. It, it really does, because if we look at it as somehow disconnected, we miss the point, because he's turning from the nature of biblical patience to that of the, a manifestation of what biblical patience looks like. He's making it very practical for you and I, which we have to do that. What does it look like to practice Christian patience? So what he does, he gives us an application. He gives us one application. Not some ethereal idea, but he talks to us about something that we do occasionally, and some of you do it a whole lot, and that is that he gives us this this application of grumbling, and then he follows up with a model. He follows up with a model in that of that prophets, and then he has to throw Job in there. If you're going to talk about patience, you got to talk about Job, right? So he kind of flings Job right in the middle of all that, and that makes us nervous and break out in a sweat because we don't, you know, we know somewhat of the story about Job. It does. So, but this is this is not a good grumbling. Understand this. There are places like in the book of Matthew where the word is used the same place, and it talks about sighs and moans for good things that you desire in your life. But this is about grumbling about against each other. It's a grumbling to simply be avoided. Here's the thought. Because in my life, sometimes my, patient, my patience decreases as my struggles increase. That happens to us. It does. That suffering people sometimes become selfish people in life, and we become the center of our own universe, and and we look at each other with contempt because your life is going fine, and here's my life over here, and my life is everything but really going well right now, and you appear to have everything in line, and I just have 
nothing in line. And can I tell you, if you are judging people's lives by Instagram and Facebook, stop it, okay? Stop, all right? Anybody can be anything on social media. Do you know that, right? Anybody can smile for a photograph when their life pardon expression is in the crapper. That is exactly true. Yes. So if that's what you're judging your own situation and circumstances by, here is my advice to you. Take a break from social media for a while, okay? Take a break from it. Really, if that's what's driving your life about everybody else's life is better than yours and mine is really sucky, then take a break from it. In fact, if you can't take a break, then just close all of your pages. And I'm not anti-social media. I think it's a great tool for us when we spread the gospel and we inform you of things. I think it's great. But can I, can I tell you this, that sometimes when, this, uh, when the struggle of my life increases the patience of my life begins to decrease. And what James says is we start complaining against each other. That's what James is talking about, yes. And James has given us a warning. He said, hey, this is serious stuff. It really is because it doesn't go unnoticed by the judge. And we believe the judge to be the Lord, that it does not go unnoticed. It's valuable that he makes this singular point of application because I think that we could try to be patient in a lot of other areas and we skip over this. So how do you correct this problem of grumbling? It's great how James puts this all together. It's this, it's this refreshed and renewed vision of the in, in, imminent return of Christ. It's this refreshed vision of the imminent return of Christ is exactly what it is. That you take your eyes off of others and you take your eyes sometimes off off of your own self and what is going on in yourself, and you simply put your eyes upon Christ, for He is your strength and He is your hope, and He is the one that is faithful in the middle of the waiting moments of your life. And I'm only going to grumble against you when I'm focused upon you. And I see the things in your life that I dislike, or the things that you have that I don't have, but I take my eyes off of that and I put them on Christ. Look at verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So here's the model. The application was grumbling. Here's the model. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and how the Lord is merciful. And so James focuses on three elements, that three, three elements of how patience works in our life. And I have to run through these real quick. He said, first is suffering that enters our life. He said, second is perseverance. It's an aggressive type of patience within our life. It's not this passive thing of just waiting back, not doing anything until the Lord shows up and somehow in a cloud or our fire or whatever, but it's actually doing the things that we know to do and believing and standing firm in our life. And then I love the last one. He says, and it's also blessing. It comes from the Lord who is full of compassion and mercy. That that suffering that we sense, you know, that can I tell you what? I looked at this word, not getting real academic, but I looked at this word suffering, and it's not a passive form of suffering. It's not it's just that you're miserable or it's misery that comes on, on you because of life in general, but it's a very active sense of suffering because it simply talks about how we suffer in the endurance in those times of our lives are waiting. It's a hardship that we find as we grow in Christ. It's those hardships that we experience in our life when we take a stand for God. That's exactly what he's talking about. 
It's really a different type of suffering. It is. It's a patience in suffering when we stand firm for, for the things that we know are right for our lives. It's a patience in suffering when we take a step of faith. It's a patience in suffering when we are waiting on God to answer something in our life that we've been asking God to answer. It's a patience in suffering when we say, God, I want you to set me free from this addiction. It's that when God delivers me, it's a patience in that suffering when I need God to open a door in my life because faith without works is dead. And that's a common thread that we find throughout the scriptures and throughout specifically James's letter. It's a patience, it's a suffering and patience that we experience when we are waiting aggressively for God to work in our life and we're doing the things that we know to do and we stand for God, we establish our hearts. You see, it's real easy to read James superficially. It really is. It's real easy to blow through these five chapters and kind of hit the high spots And say, oh, that's what he's talking about. But when you really begin to read it and contemplate on it and you begin to pray about it, you see it's something much deeper than all of that. So there's a couple of thoughts and I finish with prayer. As I begin to read through these verses, I had not discovered this or thought about this before. And that is that as James is talking about suffering, he doesn't necessarily identify the source of that suffering. James is not answering the why question, you know? And we always have that why question. Why does this happen to me, God? And why are you blessing this person not blessing me? And why are you doing this? And why does her life seem absolutely wonderful? And their marriage and their relationship is great and mine is not that wonderful right now. And why? And why is their job great? And they love their job and they post things again. You know, they're posting things. So, you know, why is all that... But Lord, why why is my life... (coughs) Excuse me. Why is my life the way it is? James doesn't address that. He doesn't. (laughs) He just kind of blows through that. He doesn't address that. Why? Because it's not about him answering the why question. It's about him emphasizing the character and the nature of God. Because I believe that we can get so caught up in the why question of why things are going on in my life the way they are, that it somehow fogs my view. It becomes a lens or it fogs my view of that of the character and the nature of God within my life. And that is what James is saying. James is saying here that God blesses. He does. After you have the suffering and this perseverance, that it is God's place to bless within our life. Job reminds us of this, and he brings Job up. Not I, but he brings Job up because God is committed. God is committed to accomplishing his good purpose within my life. So when I'm waiting and when I want to ask the why question, when, when those things are not working out like I think they should in my life, Yeah, that I have to always default. I go back, I go back to the character and the nature of God, that God is good and God is for me and God is never against me, that God is committed to accomplishing the good purposes of my life in the middle of this time when I'm struggling for patience. Here where James talks about God being patient, or I'm sorry, compassionate, he uses a word that is only used in the Greek in this one verse. It's never used anywhere else in the Bible. I I put the word in your notes this morning. I did. It's paluspanknos. That's an interesting word, isn't it? 
I had to practice that a lot, okay? Polusplanknos, simply, it's, let me tell you this. I tell you the word for a reason. Because it's, it's a word that separates God and myself. You say, Mark, there's a whole lot more than that word that separates you and God. I know, but it's one of them, okay? So don't, don't, don't judge me. Just listen for a moment. Because I can tell you that I'm compassionate. Huh. And I can be compassionate. I can. And I'm not, I don't say that in an arrogant way because it's Christ within me. So I can be compassionate. Yes, I can have compassionate moments. But I can also have moments where I'm not compassionate. And I have those sometimes. But this word that's used here, the only place in the Bible that's used, it simply means that God is full of compassion. Meaning that there is no lack of, there is no absence of, but He is full of compassion. So what does it look like for you and I when we practice biblical patience? It looks like the prophets who keep speaking. It looks like Job who suffers and he perseveres holding on to the faithfulness of God. That God is a God of... He is full of compassion. And he does what is best for me. So in those moments when I'm anxious, in those moments... When I have unresolved issues of my life, what do I do? I submit consciously to the greatness of God. It doesn't always give me the answer to the why question. No. It doesn't always say, this is what I should do. I don't always get that. But I just submit to the greatness of God. Because He is faithful. And that's enough. And that is sufficient. That I submit to his greatness. Can I read verse 12? I have three minutes. So here it goes. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth. Or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, let your yes be true, or your no be no, let your no be true, so that you may not fall under condemnation. She said, Mark, there's another one of those verses. It just doesn't fit. You know, it's kind of thrown in there. No, but it absolutely does. We said from the very beginning that James is a commentary of the Sermon on the Mount that you find in the book of Matthew, and that's exactly what James is doing. He's referring back to the teachings of Christ where Christ simply confronts the Pharisees about them creating oaths that they would keep and they'd create this oath that they would keep in order for them to actually not keep oaths that would be weightier within their life. It would make them look super spiritual. And so that is what he says. So he says, be honest with your speech. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. Let them be true and be honest with your speech. But then what James does, he takes it to another place because he says above all, Because James is dealing with something even bigger than that of honesty and speech. He he really is. Because you have to look at this in context. Who is he writing this letter to? He's writing to these people that feel the heaviness of life. 
He's writing to these people that are suffering. They, they have unanswered questions. They're dealing with contempt within their life. They, they, they're responding right and wrong to all the pressure of life. They are. And they might tend at some point when the pressure is on, and we've all been here, to somehow strike a deal and a bargain with God. And they will say to God, God, if you will just deliver me, God, if you will just do this for me, then I will do that for you. And that is why James puts this here. Because when we do that, we step out of the grace of God or understanding the grace of God within our lives because the reality of all of this in our relationship is this, that when we try to make a bargain with God, we assume that our worth is to the point where God is willing to deal with us through that. So we choose to bargain with God with something that really doesn't belong to us anyway, and that is us. And so when the pressure is on in my life, and the, the whys are unanswered, when I'm squirming in the moment of waiting, then I'll say to God, God, if you will just do this, I will serve you forever. God, if you'll just answer this, Lord, if you'll just give me this person in my life, then God, that will complete me, and I will serve you forever. And it simply says this, no, stop, because what that is, that is an affront to the very grace of God within our lives, because we go back to the character and the nature of God, that He is a God full of compassion. He is a God that is committed, committed to accomplishing His purposes within your life, that you don't have to make a deal with Him, because He's already committed to you. Realize that. That he's accomplishing a greater purpose in your life today, where you are and what you are experiencing within your own life. That we bring nothing to the table. Understand that, that all the weight of all of this is on his shoulders. It is not on ours. And because of his grace, I don't have to impress him with words. Because of his grace, I don't have to come to him and try to paint a picture of myself that is not true or somehow embellished in some way. But I can come to God and I can speak honestly to God. I can be honest in my words and say, God, here's my life and I'm struggling with this issue. And I really want to know why, God. But if you're not going to tell me why, I'm still going to trust you because I know that you are faithful and you are a God full of compassion. And it's a beautiful thing as his creation to come to him as our creator and we bring nothing to the table and we bring nothing to bargain with. We are just who we are and he is a God who is a loving and a compassionate God full of compassion who is committed to us. So I don't have to say to him, Lord, if you just get me out of this jam, God, then that I'm going to do this for you and I'm going to do that for you. No. I come to him in honesty and say, God, here I am and I don't know the next step and I don't know the answers to this, Lord, and, and I'm committing my life to you and God, you know me and I'm going to struggle with this and my, Lord, there may be an opportunity. Lord, there's probably going to be an opportunity in my life in the very near future that I'm going to stumble again, but I know that that does not change the way in, in how you feel about me. Do you know God like that? Do you understand his nature and character?
as something to really meditate on this morning, isn't it? Could you bow your heads for a moment with me? Father, it's so, Lord, you know us, first of all. But God, in our prayer and in a moment like this, as you know, Lord, we're, we're just expressing how we feel because that's part of our relationship with you, the healthy part of our relationship with you. And so, Father, you know in these moments of waiting that, that our perception of things becomes very skewed and fogged. And we forget, Lord, that this is waiting with purpose sometimes. And so, Father, those moments that we've forgotten, we repent and we ask for forgiveness. And God, we thank you for your grace who, who has already covered those things. For those moments that we've taken things into our own hands and said, Lord, either you step up or step aside. God, we repent of those times. Father, for the times that we have questioned your nature and your character, that God, that has not changed the way you feel about us or how much you love us. But you place us in these moments for purpose. That the precious fruit of the ground is our growth in you. Until you crown that with your return. And so, Father, we find great strength in you. We are establish our hearts in your faithfulness today. Thank you, Lord, in the middle of our waiting. You are working powerfully in our lives. Because you are committed to accomplishing a purpose in us. So thank you, Father. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to ask you a question this morning before you leave. How many of you would say to, to me this morning, but I guess more importantly, this is between you and God, because I can't do anything other than just share with you what God has placed upon my heart. But you say, Mark, I'm in, a, I'm in a waiting moment in my life and boy, it's really frustrating at this point. But today I, I, I make a decision to establish my heart in the faithfulness of God. Understanding that it may not end the waiting period and it, and it may not give me all the answers to the why question. But I'm trusting in the nature and the character of God. That he is for me and not against me. But I'm in a waiting place in my life. And so if that's you, right now, just between you and God in a step of faith, would you put your hand up and say, yes, Mark, that's me. That's exactly where I am. I'm in this moment of waiting in my life. And I want biblical patience. That I'm going to wait in an aggressive manner, trusting God, believing God, doing the things I know to do. And understanding there is purpose in where I am.
because I understand the nature and the character of my God. Thank you, Father.